So the thing about cheesecake is I used to not really like it very much because it was problematic uh, <laughs> in getting it. No idea what's happening. <laughs> but but now I've realized I've become a mild cheesecake aficionado. I re- I make I make them at home sometimes with the graham cracker crust and. That's what that fans. one is. Yes, we're talking cheesecake. Thanks mind. for there, joining us today. Hope you didn't <laughs> miss anything. There's See a, you next week. There's an empty plate right in front of me with a napkin and a fork. What did have cheesecake mm-hmm. on it that Misty had made uh, for our big shindig last night? This, this was the broken one, right? This was the cracked one. I think I overbaked it, so I had to take a bite first before I served it to it you was and Joni. Really, so. it was delicious. Wow, well, delicious. And, and how do you get your so your cheesecake is so tall? You just like fill up the whole pan with it's genetics four, filler. Seven forty-seven. Well, just whatever the recipe calls for, you just go one more. Gotcha. That's that's the that's way. That's what I should have done. Uh, but do you buy the? You, you have the time. springboard pan. Mm-hmm. That that's the key. I mean, I saw yeah. someone try to make a cheesecake like in a regular. I don't think you can do that. It doesn't work right. No, uh, I don't think so. It, yes, we, you have. Joined under the water tower, just in case you're <laughs> curious. This is not, this is not bake off. Cheesecake one oh one. But but cheesecake is a good metaphor for mm. grief. Yes, I would agree. Uh, because go, go on. I was grieved <laughs> yeah. when my cheesecake cracked. Do tell. There are so many things that can go wrong in the making mm. of a cheesecake. It's an ordeal. It's a process for sure. And then you can have the cheesecake and you can make the cheesecake perfectly and serve it to someone and if it's not the kind of cheesecake they want mm. or they're expecting then there's grief involved in that grief uh, like this is a cl- what she served I call a classic New York style cheesecake yeah. no f- no flavors to it and special so you'll do that and someone will say well it's not a cheesecake if there's no chocolate in mm-hmm. it or or, or raspberry or, or cherries or yeah. caramel turtle or whatever or it's not frozen my sister made made it still makes these delicious frozen cheesecakes mm. so they never go in the oven like they go straight to the freezer mm. See, i wouldn't call that a cheesecake That's if it's cheesecake. not been baked it's not a cheesecake well we would disagree well um well <laughs> okay I, i'm okay I, with I, that i feel like you're being unnecessarily combative with, <laughs> with but how do you feel do you feel like you're grieving Does over that, her comment what stage of grief would that be i don't know but uh <laughs> so so the cheesecake was delicious but the grief i thought about misty had made two yes right mm-hmm and for our, our big shindig, which was fun, if if any of you were here last night, thanks for being here. Daryl saying, what's the, the Italian guys that you sang? Well, the two guys that are most Not fam- Dean Martin, but the other no, one. No, Andrea Bocelli or um, Luciano one. Pavarotti. That's those so are the two that are well, well known for those songs. Pavarotti, I know. The other one, I do not know. Mm-hmm. It's the, the guy that's blind. Well, that, that was, that was, that was, uh, you, I, you have to go there. Well, I'm just saying he's well known. Um, singer and he happens to be blind and that's one of his so Stevie Wonder trait. No, <laughs> so we, so we had the the banquet last night and Misty made two cheesecakes. Now what happened to one of them? Um, it's got a huge crack down the middle of it. So you did everything right. Well, I think I baked it too long. So technically, I don't think I did it all right. Okay, but it's still cracked. Yes. Yes. And I just ate. It tastes great. Yes. But it's not. You didn't want to serve it last night. There was grief, so right. you served. Thankfully, she had two, which is why you always make two. Don't just make one. Yes. So it was perfect. Um, so we have leftovers today. So grief in that there is a certain kind of grief when you're cooking something and it collapses. Mm-hmm. 
I hate when a cake does that. And I, I'm, I'm, I will tell my entire house, the cake just went in the oven. Shut your pie hole. <laughs> don't move. Don't jump. Don't walk up the stairs. Don't shut the door. Turn the TV off. Kim, you can't watch John Wick right now. You know, because uh, it's really loud. All what probably sh- vibrates and shakes. Yeah, well, it does. It's all the explosions. And I'm like, that, until until we get past the critical moment with this cake, you're all in suspended animation, uh, um, which makes me understand why my mom used to send us all outside because mm-hmm. uh, you don't want it to fall. Because when it does, there's a certain kind of you've worked so hard and you you've babied this thing, mm-hmm. and then it collapses and you're just. Oh, yes. Yeast rolls are the same way, like five it's hours. The yeast of my problems. It's <laughs> He'll be here all week. Ching, ching. Um, you know, you wait five hours for them to rise, and mm-hmm. then if they don't rise right, or if when they cook, mm-hmm. they touch something wrong, or, they, mm-hmm. you know, like somebody looks at them and says mm-hmm. something mean or something, they just fall. Shrink back. They're like, I'm done. That's it. And so. I feel deflated. Deflated. <laughs> and that's grief that, in a nutshell. And, and, and one of the things that um, I've always thought about grief is that we always assume it's about death, mm-hmm. but grief is not just about death. It's about it, loss. It's about loss. Anything mm-hmm. that you lose, and it, it it can be something that I might think is silly, mm-hmm. um, you know, but someone else may think is is vitally important. Mm-hmm. I heard a statement. Where is it? My notes here. The worst loss is always your loss. Mm-hmm. Heard that on podcast last night. Like. In the context was the early stages of the pandemic where maybe someone loses a job or the ability to work and then a kid loses the ability to go to school. And the temptation is to say one's worse than the other. But to the kid, no, that's their whole social world. And that's the greatest loss to them. And and you can't, it's not, grief isn't comparative. And I'll never forget and just came to my mind just now that whenever my oldest son was going to college, you know, I was devastated because he was my person we watched movies together he stayed home he didn't go out we were buddies and we did everything together and so when he went to school I was crushed so of course I put on the old good Facebook you know my kid went to college what am I gonna do blah 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 here we go well then a lady Mm. (laughs) she said oh honey I've lost my husband I've Mm. lost my son my son to the military and blah 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 but um it's okay you'll get through it like my loss was very insignificant. Her loss is more. Cor- yes, compared to hers. And I'll never forget that. It came mm. up in my memory thing the other and day. And that created and it just more like, grief. Yes. <laughs> I was like. No, no, it didn't create grief. It created anger. Anger. Because I was angry. <laughs> Which is yes. part of grief. You don't want someone to discount your grief. I remember after dad had his triple bypass heart surgery, like he went through a serious grieving process. And I thought you're like, you made it through the, through the, um, surgery like it was a huge surgery they didn't think he was going to make it off the table and we had a year with him after that happened and I count that as bonus time but um but like you made it through and then here he is grieving and I couldn't understand it but it was just a loss of what was normal it was a loss of okay this is the beginning of the end this is this is it that's kind of the way my mom was after she had her stroke um, she worked in the hospital. She was a, a nurse's aide for many years. She loved her job, and it took her – she couldn't go back to work, and so it took her months to be able – finally, she put up all her scrubs. She folded them, put them in a tub, and just finally came to the realization that 
this was it. I'm not going to be able to go back to work. But it was mm-hmm. a, she grieved for a while. Jamie would have burned them. I feel like Jamie would have burned them. <laughs> no? You would have burned your scrubs, Jamie? No. I would have found someone who needed them and said, do you yeah. need these oh, She didn't do that. She kept them. But at least she put them up. Why you do know? you think I would burn them? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just feel Burr. like you would have been like, burn them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> No, I know. Well, and I think, you know, we've already (laughs) jumped into the deep end here when we talk about the five, and I'm going to mention... We're far from the shallows now. (laughs) I'm going to mention the six stages of grief, um, is that people think there's steps or a linear process that you go this one first and this one next and this, and it's like a work. We love formulas, and I do this, and then I'll be fine. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. you can't control it. These are just stages that you will probably experience Mm -hmm. at some time or another in there. Um, And if you don't, I heard it, if you don't feel it, you can't heal it. I heard that phrase. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times people try to look at the stages of grief as a way to avoid actually feeling what they're really feeling. But then at some point, all those emotions and feelings come out. Mm-hmm. And it's not good because you you just yeah. stuffed them. Yep. Well, that's and you say stuck. You can't move until you begin to heal body through and your that. Your emotions you go trying to get your attention, to saying, uh-uh, "We're yeah. going to deal with this." Mm-hmm. Stuck's right. a good word. Well, one of the things that I've observed is that um, grief is tangible and real. It's like a cold or a disease or a boo boo. It's real. It's not um, perceived. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's a thing that exists in reality. It's not just a feeling that can be moved over. It has space. And so it's going to go somewhere. It's, right. it's like if I have a, a bucket and I pour water into it, that water's got to go in mm-hmm. there and it may, it may move around. If there's other things in there, it's going to, but it's, it's in there. Mm-hmm. So when you have loss, grief is in you and it's going to come out some way. And, and, and for me, you talked about the stages of grief. When I was in seminary back <laughs> in the dark ages, you know, um, 1700s. <laughs> well, it wasn't that long ago, but it was a while back. Uh, they taught that, that the, the old Kubler-Ross wheel, um, they taught it as a ch- almost like a checklist. You're mm-hmm. going to go, you're going to have denial first, and then you're going to move through this. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember thinking, oh, that makes sense. Blah, blah, blah. But at 30 years later of ministry, I see Kubler-Ross is right. These are the things that you feel or that you go through, but it's not a progression. It's, and it's just one of the things that, your grief can come out like this in any certain way. Um, physical depression is one of them, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you ignore the the anger and the bargaining and all the other things, then your body will physically absorb the grief, and right. you'll have uh, stomach problems, and you'll have mm-hmm. anxiety headaches. and headaches. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. six months later, after a loss, someone will say, I don't know, I'm sick, but they, they can't diagnose it. And I'm like, well... You, Let's have a conversation about that yeah. because Our bodies are smart. Well, your body's smart. <laughs> <laughs> My body just says, Speak "Give me some cheesecake." <laughs> <laughs> your body's smart. I, don't I think uh, also a lot of times people think, "Oh, I've gone through the anger. I'm not going to go through anger again." Mm. Oh, I've gone through denial. I'm not going to go through that again. Which they can repeat, and then there's not a there's not a okay. Well, I completed like check that one off. Mm-hmm. I know I had a friend. Um, who had lost someone very close to him recently, and I said, um, how are things going? How can I support you? I tried not to say, how are you doing? Because I, th- like, how do you think they're doing? But I was like, how can I support you? And she's like, oh, I'm I'm great. Like, I'm, to the, I'm, I'm past the denial, mm-hmm. and I'm to the whatever. Mm-hmm. And so in her mind, she felt like it was very linear. And I was mm-hmm. like, 
Now you know, like, this may just sneak back up on you when you see something that, you know, reminds you of him or... And you made a good point. You said, in her mind, I think, I don't know if it's an American thing, a Western thing, a human thing, but so many of us intellectualize everything Mm -hmm. and discount emotions or discount our body or discount Mm -hmm. things that are going on. And, And... what I'd heard is that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, even when she was writing these books and these stages, she was so frustrated because they tried to put, even in the preface, this is not linear. This is not, you know, you don't walk through this and steal people. They just, that's the way our brains see it. And we think, oh, that's how I can fix this as opposed to, no, you've got to walk through it. Well, and you have to label it. I think you have to label it for what it is. You know, um, requires honesty. Yeah. And not be afraid to sit in it. I think mm-hmm. that when you're afraid to sit in it, like that's, that's when it just comes out as, you know. And to be able to say, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm grieved by this. I think this, we're, you know, we're afraid of our emotions. We think sure. that they're going to consume us as opposed to or realize emotion is something that when you feel it, then it goes away. Right. Mm-hmm. And the it, reason it's it never goes it away. Never goes well, away. what I'm saying is the feeling like in the, in the moment it, if you don't feel it, it's going to sit there and, and mm-hmm. grow and hold on to you as opposed to like uh, the ebb and flow of the ocean. Mm-hmm. If you feel it, sit in it, own it, experience, then you can move through it. Well, and if we feel like if, if we admit to others that we are sad and that we are grieving, that it does make us look weak and, and, you know, we have this perception that we always have to be strong, strong for ourselves, strong for other people. And that's, you know, that's not the case. Especially we have that perception to people who um, don't have faith. Mm-hmm. And so they are looking at us. Well, how are they going to grieve this? Because, you know, especially if the person that you lost, if it was a loss like that was a Christ right. follower, like, mm-hmm. how are they going to grieve this? They know that person's in heaven or that's what they think. Why are they so sad if that per- if, if the right. outcome was a was a win right you know yeah absolutely i want to follow through Joni's. Joni introduced the word first and we've all used it a little bit or the phrase sit with it what does it mean to sit with your grief um for me i just think it means to to call it what it is like misty said and to not be afraid to to let it rise up. I'm I'm a crier. I've always been a crier. I um, I crybaby. I am such a crybaby, and I I didn't realize what it was before. Like now I own it. But um, but like Daryl said, if I push it down, push it down, push mm-hmm. it down, like at some point it's gonna come up, and it's not gonna be a good healthy. We cry. try to control it. Mm-hmm. We tr- and that's who we and are. And I think what we you're tr- saying is sit with it means I'm going to let it be what it is, mm-hmm. and I'm going to feel it. And I'm not going to try to control it. I'm not going to let it control me, per se, but I'm, I'm going to feel it. Mm-hmm. How would you respond, Joni? And I'm just playing, playing now. I got, mm-hmm. I got nowhere I really think this is headed. I'm just asking an open-ended question that I really don't have an end to. How would you feel if or perceive things if you were grieving and you knew you were grieving and you made time, and you just, the, the crying, I know I'm going to cry because that's what I do, but then the crying didn't come. Huh. That's dead air. Crickets, crickets, crickets. I don't know. Again, I, it sounds like you're trying to control it. You're trying to schedule your grieving. I'm not trying. Well, to. I mean, in your, in your analogy, kind of you're saying I'm gonna, I'm gonna thir- nine o'clock Thursday morning. I'm gonna mm-hmm. go have a good cry. 
um, about all of this. And well, m- m- maybe, but I, I'm more working on what happens is as we change in life, the way we grieve changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a day may come when you're not the crier you used to be. Now, you're always going to be kind of weepy, you know, when I, when I um, finish that perfect sermon and all comes <laughs> together just right. You're going to have a little tear in the corner of your eyes. <laughs> it's beautiful. You're always going to be that way. And we love you for it. But, but there may be a time when you're not, crying is not the go-to. Something else is there. Right. And will you be sitting with it enough? And I don't know. I know that I have changed in the way I mm-hmm. grieve. As I've, and as I grieve different things. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad it. dying yeah. was way different than um, other aspects of grief that mm-hmm. I've experienced. And then um, er- early in our marriage, we miscarried. And that was very grievous. And it was unique and unto itself. I grieved in that way, in a way that I never did anything else and haven't since. Mm-hmm. But that grief has never gone away. But mm-hmm. you're a different person now, and I can see where. where I think mm-hmm. it still goes back to not trying to control the stages, whether it's the five stages or whether it's your stages in life, and to just be where you are. Mm-hmm. If you're grieving, there, you grieved a certain way 10 years ago, what do we want to do? We want to think, well, that means every funeral, I'm going to grieve the same way. Well, no, you have a different relationship to the person. Mm-hmm. The loss is different. The loss is different based on your your situation in life as it was then, um, your emotional health, your intellectual understanding, your outlook on life. All of these things change. Therefore, I think it would only be natural that grief would be unique. Mm-hmm. And grieving takes time. You know, we don't we wouldn't grieve if we didn't love. You know, and that's where the hurt comes from. It's because you loved something, someone so much that you you grieve that. And it does come the tears at, at some point in time. I think the hard part, too, is we expect people to grieve in a certain way. So we expect them to go through this or grieve this way. But when they don't grieve that way, oh, that's not healthy. Like a family that loses a child that doesn't clean out the room. Like, oh, well, that's not healthy. Like, they need to clean that room, or they need to clean out his closet, or they need to do this. But, like, unless it's ours, we can't. Right. We can't judge the way And that goes grieving. for people we that. We can just be there. Yeah. And I think we fail to just be, be there. there. Sometimes you need someone to sit with you in it, mm-hmm. even if they're not saying anything. Well, and that's the, so much <laughs> of this is about relationships. It's about relationships with ourselves, and it's about relationships with others. And one of the statistics. Statistics. That Here we go. <laughs> I, I heard it was, it's not a statistic, but it was about a statistic that they were whoa, saying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are we talking okay. about? I'm trying to get there. Statistics it was, again. Is it a statistic <laughs> or is it a conversation? It is a statistic. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a statistic. I'm going to give because you he doesn't know. <laughs> what the statistic is about. And it was about the fact that parents <laughs> who lose a child, the statistic was the rate of divorce. And then what they discovered was the research was asking the wrong question. The divorce wasn't because of the loss of the child. The divorce was because of the parents Mm -hmm. grieving differently Mm -hmm. and then judging the other for how they grieve. They either compare it, you don't grieve like I do, or they've never... you should be over it. Or Or they've never been through it and say, well, this, you know, this is what I would do if I was to lose a child. You know, having no clue what you would do unless you've been in that situation. Well, in in the marriage situation, you can easily see where... One parent loses, uh, they, 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 mom and dad have both lost a child. You can easily see where one parent um, cries, sits with it, feels it. 
but then say can't clean out the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other parent maybe has anger or denial, but then to work through it quickly cleans out the room. Mm-hmm. And they're each yelling at each other, how could you be like right. this? And the solution that uh, was given was they're both running on E, mm-hmm. and they don't have anything for each other. Blaming they, each but other. They both need two separate groups or people right. to help mm-hmm. them in their mm-hmm. grief to sit with them mm-hmm. because they're trying to sit with each other and they don't right. have anything to offer. And so each spouse needs another mm-hmm. person or a peer or a group to sit with them to help help them in their grief and then maybe help them to accept so, yeah. how the spouse is grieving. Well, I always like to point out that sitting business, um, the book of Job, mm-hmm. right, those three wretched friends, uh, the best good they do is when they first get there, they sit for seven days. Don't mm-hmm. say anything. They just sit for seven days. That's when they're their most, it's when they open their mouth mm-hmm. and begin to talk that things fall apart mm-hmm. uh, from a from a. And I think that's important too when we're grieving is that we, I, do, I personally hold things in. I don't want to burden other people. I don't want other people to know my business. I think I can just handle it all myself. And in reality, you know, talking to others is is part of that healing, I think, is just talking about it, getting it out in the open, you know, talking to God about it. I think a lot of times, you know, when we're grieving, um, we're angry at him, and I can only speak for myself, but I hold him accountable. I blame him. Why did this happen? Why did you allow this to happen? And even though I'm maybe talking at him, I'm not talking to him and conversing with him and crying out to him. And I think that that is where a lot of times we, um, we withdraw and, and isolate ourselves too and that's the part of grieving that is completely unhealthy there's two things you've brought up that are powerful and one is what role does the community have in helping us process grief mm-hmm. and one of the things that i observe is the more connected a person is the healthier their grieving process right. will be and the the, the the more adjusted they will be through it mm-hmm. the more isolated a person is then they become, um, um, I'm looking for the rest word, they become stunted mm-hmm. in their processing through yeah, it. Yeah, they, uh, they can't move and, on. And their health, their mental and emotional and spiritual health mm-hmm. when they're isolated. And I think this is one of the reasons why in church life, the, the ritual of funeral, of meal, of um, uh, going, uh, I still try, as soon as I learn someone has passed, go to the house as mm-hmm. soon as I can. can't say anything. There's nothing to say, right. but you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an important thing. Presence. That community, yeah, the, yeah. the community is, is there um, around that individual. That's where that you're not in this together. Mm-hmm. and allows the individual to craft their words if they are right. angry at God. And that's the second mm-hmm. aspect is mm-hmm. the, the anger. And I think also when a person passes, the who's there, that becomes a shared experience now. So every mm-hmm, time they mm-hmm. think about that, who was there that moment? Who was there for me in the, in those times? Like and for people who are stunted in this process, I have uh, some, uh, the funeral service was at church. I can't ever go to church again yeah. because every time I go to church, I think about mm-hmm. my, you know, my <coughs> husband or my child or, or whoever mm-hmm. it was that died. Um, and that's that's an unhealthy approach, but that that's someone who wants to isolate instead right. of, mm-hmm. the, and that's also a bit of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm fascinated by the anger issue here. Mm-hmm. You say you, you, Misty, you're very clear. You get angry at God and you tell God about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Am I, uh, you know, 
Is that something to be proud of? No. <laughs> no, actually, I think it but is. But a lot of it is, it's too, is prideful. You know, it boils down to being prideful. I think I can take no. care of it myself. Mm-hmm. No, you no, know. no. Anger is a normal human emotion, and the Lord wants a relationship with you, right? Right, but me thinking I can take it, take care of it myself is a sense of pride. Yes, but being angry with God is not abnormal. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so... Express now what you can't do is raise your fist in rebellion. Those are two different right. things. You yeah. can be angry, yeah, and not raise your fist in rebellion, which a lot of people do. They do, mm-hmm. but a lot of folks are angry at God, but they're afraid to admit it. Mm-hmm. And so their anger often comes out at church mm-hmm. or toward the pastor yes. or toward staff or toward the doctor, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in our in our society, doctors have the role of priest in the ancient world Mm -hmm. because they have secret knowledge nobody else really knows and what they tell you you just have to accept Mm -hmm. i mean i don't uh, doctors are like mechanics the mechanic comes out and says it's going to be eleven hundred dollars okay i don't know (laughs) whatever he could come out and say or she could come out and say it's three hundred dollars or five hundred or eighteen thousand okay Mm -hmm. i don't know that doctors have that same status and so when the doctor says something or when our beloved one dies we want to blame the doctor for mm-hmm. it. When, you know, people die. It's, the doctor can't prevent that. Right. Well, and we have a sense of our own, or we have our own sense of justice. And when we think of the word, when I think of the word justice, I think of a, the way things should be, how I perceive. And so when something like loss happens, that goes against our sense of justice because it didn't turn out how I thought it should go. And yes. so we want to judge someone. We want to, to, to condemn somebody that made this not go right and anytime we judge judge the phrase i heard was judgment demands punishment and so we either feel guilty for being that judgy and we kind of punish ourselves or we start to internally want to take it out on somebody else Mm -hmm. or, or or god and and i think we've made that a bad thing but it is what it is Mm -hmm. if you if you're in that moment then knowing it and moving through it then helps you to see it it's just when like you're saying when you get stuck in that place when that's all you see is the judgment and you live your life thinking well i'm right and everything didn't go the way it should have gone mm-hmm. so forget mm-hmm. it as opposed to owning i feel judgmental towards god i feel angry mm-hmm. towards god life these people the doctor whoever <clears throat> but then working through it talking with someone like you said or or realizing that that's not accomplishing anything. You have to get to some form of acceptance, I mm-hmm. guess you could say, that my anger and my judgment is not going to change the outcome. Right. And that's well, almost to the point to where, like we said before, you have to get to the end of yourself. Mm-hmm. Wipe away everything you thought in your mind was going to happen and where you were going to be at that specific <laughs> time and place in your life and say, okay, Lord, you know, submit. What do you have for me? And that takes, I mean, that's hard to do. We try and get to acceptance too fast. Yes. We don't sit with it, that language. Mm-hmm. Um, we we want to well, get angry at God and angry. dwell in there. Because yeah. anger feels good. Yeah. yeah. It really does. When you're, when you're angry. you're in control. You feel like you're in um, control of the situation. And you can find situation. people that will help you stay in that anger. Sure. They'll be angry with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. I have a, a, a childhood regret. Um, just, just one. one. Just <laughs> one. <laughs> Wow. Just one today. Um, yeah, I, I had have a, so many. I had a, a good friend yeah, all, all my 12 years of school. He lost um, one of his older brothers in a car wreck when we were probably 
eight, nine, ten. I don't know. And it was it was a, just a horrible, tragic event. And I just remember this scene of being at a baseball game, and we're the little kids, and we're out playing behind the bleachers and stuff. And the topic came up somehow of his brother, and maybe I'm reading into it or remembering things differently, but I feel like he was just expressing emotion about it as best an eight, nine, ten-year-old could. And because of all the adults that I had been around in church and the things that I had heard them say, my response to him was, well, at least he's in heaven. Hmm. And I thought that that was being helpful. And now looking back on it, I think that's, that's one of the most insensitive things I could have said because I was trying to fix what he was doing. I was repeating what the adults were doing, mm-hmm. which is also not helpful or healthy. But it was like dismissing the emotions, the, the loss, the grief, and making it about this future thing where everything's okay and just kind of shuffling, you know, you shouldn't be angry, you shouldn't mm-hmm. feel that way, whatever. Yeah. At least he's in heaven. It totally discounts the loss that they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, that, that just that image is one that sticks with me. And that's, the, that's basically the sermon you'll hear at almost every funeral you will go to any church. Mm-hmm. Well, our dearly beloved person here is in heaven. heaven. Yeah. And so we should celebrate today. An- you know, and God gained another angel or whatever that phrase is. Well, first off, there's some... <laughs> I'm editing. There, there's um, <laughs> some very poor theology oh, in I that know, phrase. Uh, for those of you listening and you do not know, <laughs> angels are separately created <laughs> beings. <laughs> Human beings will never become angels, period. End of discussion. Full stop. Close the book. <laughs> press uh, stop. Press stop. Uh, that's just not going to happen. But more to the the issue is that because we do that in church life, we sometimes, though the community is so vital, as Misty was pointing out earlier, is so vital in processing grief when it's done correctly, we have become, I think, in this evangelical... Um, all that matters go to heaven business. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, free for all that we're in. Mm-hmm. Saying we're so heavenly minded, we're no, earth, no earthly so good. So what happens mm-hmm. is, is the funeral then robs itself of any of the natural pastoral work that could be done to deal with grief. And it goes straight to that cliche ending. Well, at mm-hmm. least they're in heaven. Thus creating a system by which we perpetually stunt. Yep. the natural grieving process. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul does not say don't grieve. He says we grieve as those, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. So we have hope, oh, yeah. but we still grieve. And it's there's a time to, I mean, just like Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to weep and there's a time to grieve. I mean, that's, it, it's healthy to grieve. It, I think part of it is it makes us uncomfortable. And in the church life, this ties into our podcast from last week, in the church world, we want things to be neat and tidy mm-hmm. and all about our programs, our events, our numbers, our headcount. And when people are struggling with the messiness of life, a lot of times that becomes inconvenient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit our schedule. And I so we want to put a Band-Aid over it. And Well, and we think every day, you know, this morning I was thinking about, you know, this the podcast last night when I got home and then this morning. And so I'm getting rid of a shoebox because I wore some new shoes last night that were super cute. So I was getting rid they of the shoebox. You might want to keep it so you can return them. That's what Greg said. Are you taking those shoes? No, I'm keeping them. But on the shoebox, it says. Wait, you would return shoes that you've already worn? Well, I only worn once. Hey, like running shoes, you get running shoes, you get 30 days. You got to know if they you hurt your no feet. No questions asked. How are you but supposed to wear them and you've, know? You've, you've put your feet in those shoes. Doesn't matter. If I'm paying that much for a pair of shoes and they don't meet my expectations. Exactly. I, 
Exactly. See, you guys, I don't think I could return shoes. Well, we'll teach you. I don't know about the shoes she's got, but running shoes. That, I don't know about the shoes. Well, I'm just got. saying, I've learned with running shoes, the good quality ones, it's part of the deal. Okay, I got you on that because you're paying so much for that. Right. And maybe on the others, but they're not going to, are they going to take the running shoes that you've run 29 yes. and a half days in? Yes. And then package those and give them to somebody else? Not Probably. As new. Maybe. Probably. I don't know somewhere. what they do with them. Would you but let I'm me sure know where you buy your <laughs> shoes? Because I don't want to buy any shoes that someone else's sweaty feet have run 29 days in. Jamie's grieving now. His I'm, shoe purchases. My daughter would say, I'm shook. I'm shook. I'm uh, undone. Right. Go back to your shoe uh, box. I'm Anna sorry. Weiss, on, the, shoe box. on the shoe box, it says a new, a new day. So, of course, I had to take a picture of it and had to put it on. New balance? A new, no, no. These were shoes from Target. I don't, I don't know the brand of them, but anyway, I thought, you know, thank you, Lord, that it, that you do give us new days. You know, Scripture says new mercies and new beginnings every morning. But then you think about the people that are grieving, the people that have lost someone, something. You know, you wake up to a new day, but you still have yesterday there. You still have your grief. You, still you wake up to it. another day of grief, right? Yeah, and so that just kind of because you always, you know. People refer to the scripture, you know, or they just think, "Oh, well, you just need to go, go, get on past that." Yeah, be, be Tomorrow's happy. A new day. But I Tomorrow's think we're pretty day. famous, like just in general. We it's uncomfortable when you see someone grieving and you don't know what to say. So, um, I would love to talk about what is helpful and not helpful <laughs> about what to say. So, so yeah, jo- Joni's got her list here of things. Um, can I can I say poetry helps? Oh, I brought a poem. Okay, I'm ready. Are we ready? We're ready. So this is good stuff. Do I need you to like put it some background music on while you read? <laughs> <laughs> we can wrap it. Uh, no, this is Wordsworth, which you can't wrap Wordsworth. Oh, I mean, maybe you can. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, dirty look. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't that a character on Willy Wonka? <laughs> uh, Wordsworth. He wrote these lines because it goes back to what words do help. Surprised by joy. Impatient as the. <laughs> Did you turn that off? I cannot turn that. with you. This is like. This is like. <laughs> I was perfect. This is a word word. That you was pretty sweet. That. I must admit, that was pretty cool. Oh, Greg, we're sorry about that. <laughs> he was already starting to cry, and we just ruined it for he him. He was probably asleep. <laughs> Surprised by joy, impatient as the wind, I turned to share the transport. Oh. With whom but thee, deep buried in the silent tomb. That spot which no vicissitude can find. Love, faithful love, recalled thee to my mind. But how could I forget thee? Through what power, even for the least division of an hour? Have I been so beguiled as to be blind to my most grievous loss? That thoughts return? Was not the worst pain that sorrow ever bore, save one, only one, when I stood forlorn, knowing my heart's best treasure was no more, that neither present time nor years unborn could to my sight that heavenly face restore. Um, He put a note on that, suggested by my daughter. That was um, his note. My daughter, Catherine, who had been dead for seven years when he wrote it. He wrote that at her, after a visit to her grave. And what mm. happened was joy had come back to him mm-hmm. because he was now remembering the good stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And that's where I think the words can help. Someone else's words can help us who already have experienced that kind of loss to give us hope that we will get to that place. And I think the formalized grief share programs are, are great, but I also think the just coming alongside somebody. That leads in, and sympathy. leads into mm-hmm. a parable I heard, uh, uh, the parable of the long spoons. And it was this guy walks into this room. He smells, oh, yeah. smells this incredible food and just thinks this is going to be the greatest it's meal. A good, that's a good sermon on hell, by the way. Yes. When he walks into this room and all the people there are, look, uh, gaunt and uh, under, malnourished. And there's all this food in front of them. But these spoons are really, really long, too long to where they can't feed themselves. And so it's considered a picture of hell. And then he's taken to another room where there's laughter and joking and happiness and people are eating and enjoying the food. And it's a picture of heaven. And what it is is it's the people are feeding each other. Instead of trying to feed themselves mm-hmm. with the spoons, they're taking the spoon and feeding mm-hmm. one another. And I think that's exactly what the That was pre-COVID. We don't <laughs> use each other's spoons anymore. <laughs> no, it's the same no, spoon. I'm just, I'm just kidding. That is a beautiful you story. You spray it with Lysol first. <laughs> I think a lot of times, too, we can be not helpful when we are like, are you okay? Like, you you don't want them to grieve too much in front of you. And, by like, you don't want them to be too sad in front of you because then you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that the are you okay, um, like, I, I don't think that's an, an okay Do you thing. ask that question? Do you I, ever, are you no, okay? No, You don't ask how you're doing? I try not to, actually. Hmm. So what do you ask? Um, I usually smile and nod. Um, no, <laughs> um, um, we've, we've had the opportunity to, um, have several funerals here and coming in the door, usually the family with pictures of their loved one and such. How are you doing is such a, such a, like we use that, that all the time. And so they're, or sorry for your loss, accustomed mm-hmm. to that, but, um, like, Hey, just let me know how I can support you. Like we're here for you. Let me know how I can support you. Um, or if it's someone you're close to. So you prefer declarative statements over open-ended questions of well-being? I just think, especially if they're in that raw emotion, how are you doing is you want them to say, I'm okay. Because if they say you're okay, they're okay, then that relieves you of any duties. Only if, you said duty. <laughs> uh, only if, um, which reminds me, at my funeral, when my grief time comes, we have to sing Wonderful Worlds of Life. We okay. got you. Mm-hmm. And I'll fly away. Because it has, no, 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 not off. That's <laughs> oh, no. sorry, shine, Jesus, shine. No, no, no. <laughs> I have decided that I want Green Onions playing as my coffin's brought in. I don't know that I know that song. You, d- you don't know that song? Oh, I'll have to mm. look it up. I'll have to fi- where's my I know the where's movie mine? Fried Green Tomatoes. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's no, it's just, it's, it's, it's uh, like blues funk. Okay. It's really good. Anyway, so what was I saying? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, how are you doing? Her how are you doing? Yeah. I, I, how okay. are you doing? Uh, how you, no, no, don't, don't <laughs> no. say it like that. <laughs> how are you doing? Whatever you don't do. Um, I, I think the, um, the question, to me, the question's fine. How are you doing? And then when they say, okay, you get to say, but really? Really? Yeah. And that gives you a chance to peel back because mm-hmm. we need those evaluative questions for because they probably think they're okay. Mm-hmm. But most people aren't going it's, to say, the follow-up question. Well, well, and it also depends the context. Most if people you're, if aren't you're talking as awesome about, as we are either. Oh, if you're talking about while well, a group of people are coming into a funeral, that's a hard context. But if there's some privacy, some space where you can say, "How are you doing?" and 
convey to them, I'm not just, hey, how are you doing? Okay, good, let's move on. But I'm literally asking because I want to know and it's okay for you to tell me. Mm-hmm. And that's completely different than the yeah. passing, how are you doing? And, right. and maybe I, I, I see what, and I agree with supporting and saying, what can I do to support you? Or I'm here to support whatever you need. Uh, I'm, I'm even in favor of not even asking that question and just bringing them food. Mm-hmm. Just I, yeah, I think be, being more proactive on our part. Just is, bringing someone food or calling them to say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And I think it depends, too, on the relationship that you have mm-hmm. with the person. I mean, you're not going to dig too deep if it's somebody that you don't know. And you sometimes know. we're really good in the moment, but then one month, two months, three months, when their birthday comes up, when mm-hmm. their anniversary comes up, when it's Christmas time, mm-hmm. like... Do we sit with them in, in those? Because that and brings I think grief in a whole other way. It's hard, too, because we're talking as two different types of people here. We're talking as pastors, mm-hmm. which has a different role and responsibility. But as individuals, right. it's going to be dependent on your friendship, yeah. your relationship, relationship to that person. Mm-hmm. You may know today's and their birthday and you know and they're struggling. And what state they're grieving in. Right. I was, I was, I'm going to say, privileged to walk along one of beside one of my really good friends that lost her husband all of a sudden a few years ago and I had no idea I mean I'd never been that close to somebody that had lost someone that close to them and I learned so much of what to say what not to say and it was just I know that was the Lord too showing me things that I needed to know for future you know they they need a non-judgmental presence and yes absolutely yes and not to you know we don't tell them how to grieve and how long to grieve and what to say and what not to say and you know and it's different per person because everybody's we everybody's all grieve different. differently mm-hmm. yes and that brings me to a thought process about one uh, Joni sent us the um, approved list of topics and questions uh, uh, by email yesterday and one of the things that she wanted us to talk about was what are some tools we can use in the grieving process and my question is, is what, what a, does faith make a difference? Yes. And I, of course, I believe it does, but what difference, do, as we have this conversation, how uh, does faith make a difference? Faith. What, what tool faith does that bring us? All the difference. That gives us that hope that you said that, you know, in Christ, that we can give to others, believers, non-believers. I mean, that's what we're called to do is is tell that hope explain that hope bring that hope to other people and you know I was thinking about the grieving experiences in the Bible of course you know me (laughs) I gotta bring everything out well I noticed (laughs) that you have your Bible open but so does Joni yeah and I see where I I can read where she's at and I'm like I know what she's gonna do (laughs) over there with her so you go first I was just thinking of your Bible verse um well, Martha and Lazarus, you know, when she calls Jesus to, you know, come heal her brother, raise her brother. And then when it took Jesus that long to get there, you know, she was grieving in those days thinking she had lost her brother. But then Jesus comes and there's her hope. You know, he made things better. And thinking about, you know, Mary at the tomb of Jesus, whenever she goes to look for Jesus and she can't find him and she's, she's grieving, she's distraught because she can't find him. But then ultimately, you know, he's alive and he's risen and he's the Savior. So that's the hope, you know, and that's kind of what, when you say faith, we can bring that to other people. It's grieving for a time, but there does come joy in the morning. It's fascinating. You mentioned Martha. I I can't, I preach that so many times. I can't, 
Martha is the one who was angry with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You didn't get here soon you enough. You didn't get here. If you had, that's, if that, you had that's gotten classic here grief. And blame. So, you could have fixed this. Someone's blame fault. God, yeah. Jesus plays the role of the doctor, the pastor, the mm-hmm. church, God, everyone. It's your fault that Lazarus And yet is he's dead. the healer, yeah. you know, on the same. Um, so those are the two instances that, that, I, that I thought about grieving. I think, though, for someone who grieves today, though, they see that those stories have happy endings because their people wind up right but if we're the ones bringing these right you know i know you're grieving and and i know that but just can i pray with you you yeah. know god does love you he you know we're made in his image so god doesn't love me he if he does. loved me then why did he let this happen to me right and those are the, the things that we have to be prepared to so what do we to do answer and scripture says to always be found with an answer mm-hmm. according to scripture and i did um hear something that said grief is the fruit of love and i thought that mm. was beautiful mm. like grief is the fruit of love yes. but i think god wants to be there with us in that sure you, i want to speak to that right there because i've been holding this thought is and I, I think when we talk about how does faith help with grief if it's the faith we talked about last week of don't grieve because they're in a better place and the shallow just whatever this is what the bible says or whatever i don't think that's helpful But if it's the faith that helps us remember that Jesus came incarnate in the flesh Mm -hmm. and suffered, that he's with us in the suffering. It's not him out there trying to, he's going to fix it or one day it'll be okay when I fly away and all this stuff. But it's literally he's hurting. He knows what it feels like to hurt. Yes. Absolutely. And he's with us. That is because um, he knows when you when you mentioned earlier. So well, God, if God loved me, he would do this to me. Well, um, Jesus wept, just like in the same story of, as Lazarus. You know, Jesus, yeah. he also wept. You know, the answer I've always had. That's the same basic human suffering. What? Why does anyone suffer? And the best answer I got um, is that the Lord sees our suffering, and his solution was not to end it because to end suffering would require a removal of free will, mm-hmm. personality, mm-hmm. choice. His solution was far more complicated. He chose to suffer with us. Mm-hmm. And this is what makes our faith so dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Our God suffered just like mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we and have to choose to turn towards him, not away from him, but lean into that, lean into exactly. him. I agree with that. Lean, leaning into the suffering uh, abiding in that pain, mm-hmm. and so you don't run from the hurt. Mm-hmm. You, you you let Jesus crawl up aside next to you mm-hmm. and talk about his own pain together. Well, and and it, uh, again, the the name it and claim it um, uh, prosperity gospel messages give people this belief that if I just jump through the right hoops, then I'm never going to have to experience loss or pain or hurt or whatever and then i think that creates such a disillusion when something bad happens because then it either well what's your fault obviously you didn't have enough faith Mm -hmm. which is a horrible thing abusive to people to do or well god really isn't there so i'm just i give up or the time heals all wounds Mm. no it's what you allow god to do in that time that's what heals time leaves scars yes i've got scars all over me from wounds Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some have good stories, though. 
I ultimately interrupted you. I know you were getting to your Sorry, John. scripture thing or whatever. Your scripture thing? Your scripture <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> Bible thing I you got on the <laughs> table there. Another one we hear too sometimes is that um, would that person want you sad? Mm. You know what? Oh, wow. I, that's I would want them sad. I do. If I, if I go <laughs> well, out in a bad way, I want them. How manipulative is that? Even if I go out in a good way, it's like that because it is the fruit of love. Look, like I... I, I Again, that's terrible. I don't want to talk about, thing to say to about my funeral service, but I want women to be brought in and paid to weep and wail <laughs> for me. I'll volunteer. That's I How want. That's why I don't where you're I don't going know. with that. I want them. Brought to, I want them to beat their chest <laughs> and wail and mourn as my body is drawn through town in a horse-drawn <laughs> carriage. This is what I want, and they will light the eternal flame and <laughs> mourn for me. This is Hang what on, I, I want. Eternal. Let me write this down. Eternal flame. flame. Misty and I the wear this. Not the song by the, the Bengals. Not that. <laughs> well, I was thinking a minute ago, Mary and, Mary and Martha just wanted to see their Lazarus. <laughs> Carmen was in my brain. Oh, uh, uh, the If you know, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Carmen living rent-free in Fishbag's head. Um. You know, I was thinking about Ruth and Naomi, and I was thinking about how Naomi changes her name to Mara mm. because it means bitter, and how bitter is so much, like, we think, oh, they just got bitter, like, their heart turned hard, but I think the bitter is grief. Like, it's it's coming out as bitter, but it's the grief coming out. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how much we exchanged. And what had she lost? What had Naomi lost? Naomi had lost her husband and her two sons. And her way of life. Like, she went to a new land to live, and they wound up dying. So she's like, having to let go of all that she knew and try to embrace all that was coming at her right. at the same time. And I, I think this is where faith helps, because it's the resurrection that offers the hope of life from death. Not heaven. I'm not just talking about after we all die. I'm talking about that God can bring the beauty from the ashes right. that in the moment there can't it just that hope. Now you may not feel it in the moment and you may not be able to, to, to say it, but I think that's the role of faith is to know that we can be moving towards something that we can't see, can't describe, mm -hmm. can't create, can't explain. I mean, but how it many? still takes time. Oh, just gosh, like Martha yes. had to wait four days. Well, that can, that's eternity when you in, you know, in that type of situation and so that shows that it's all in God's timing it has mm -hmm. to ha it has mm -hmm. to take time to do and I remember crying myself to sleep several times and clinging on to the verse like that sorrow will tarry for the night but joy will come in the morning and just asking God like please please let joy come tomorrow mm -hmm. um and I think also we think oh here's the joy but yeah. not thinking we're gonna go back to the well, in our joy, we, we, found, we find our joy in the strength of the Lord. And even though we know it, you know, it's, it's hard to find it when we're going through, the, when we're grieving through. The podcast that I listened to last night, I, I had listened to early on in the pandemic. Well, look, we do not advertise other podcasts <laughs> on about this podcast unless they're going to send us a check. <laughs> I don't think so. All right, well then. Um, but I listened to it at the beginning of, early stages of the pandemic and and part of the topic was about our collective loss because we lost normal we lost freedoms we lost a lot of things um and it was by the um it was the uh, uh, interview with david kessler and david kessler was a protege of elizabeth kubler ross who came up with the five stages and he helped her write some some books and things like that he 
lost a son. He got the phone call that every parent dreads. A twenty-something-year-old, uh, his his son had died, um, and he he has since gone back even to the Kubler Ross Foundation and asked permission to potentially add a sixth stage. And the sixth stage is finding meaning. And what he's talking about is not finding meaning in their death or the actual loss, but w- finding a meaning in how you've moved through it. Right. Where and do again, I fit now? again, it's not a, okay, this person just died or I just lost this. So I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to find meaning. It, it, it's just like one of the other five stages. It's, it's, it comes out of it. And he references Victor Frankl a lot, who, um, is well known for surviving the concentration camps. And ta- he talks a lot about the people who didn't survive at some point, they just, they gave up. And I don't know that I wouldn't have given up. I don't know how you continue to find some kind of meaning or purpose in it, but how the six, this sixth stage isn't about, um, the death was a, a, a test. God is testing me. Or, um, it's something that, um, I did wrong and cause it or whatever. It's not that kind of a meaning. Another way that, faith has air quotes has created a lot of toxic thinking around death and loss but of coming to a point where the life like for him he didn't find meaning in the son dying but he was able to find meaning and joy in the fact that he got to experience life with his son Mm -hmm. and the good times and the memories and the things like that um and that didn't come right away. It right. comes a lot later. later yeah. um, but it's also one of those things that can you can get there. In the moment, I'm sure you don't sure. believe you can. But right. Well, that goes to um, the idea of gratitude. John Claypool yes. writes in his wonderful book, Mending the Heart, that gratitude is the most powerful way of moving through grief. Mm-hmm. That you come to the place where it's not my rights or what's been taken from me or how I've been wronged in this loss. It is that I had this joy for whatever I had it with mm-hmm. for whatever time period. And I'm grateful for I'm that. I'm not mm-hmm. grateful for the loss. Yeah. No, I'm right, grateful right. in the loss. Right. His, his, you know, his daughter had died of leukemia mm. and he's working. I mean, he felt for all, I've been robbed. That's the feeling. Yeah. I have been robbed. Yeah. God has taken my child from me. And the parent dies first. And, and, and he talks about moving to the place where I'm no longer, uh, angry and vindictive of what I've been what's been taken from me as if I have this inherent universal right, right. Mm-hmm. to this daughter mm-hmm. but instead it is um, I had eight years with her yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and the gratitude of, and I have the memory of her and that is where I think the the finding meaning is mm-hmm. the, the gratefulness that you had any um, exchange or life with this individual because Everyone is here temporarily, right? But we get so uh, s- um, assured of our right to unending joy mm-hmm. that we forget and what we own. Well, we, you know, we just forget that they're not ours. You know, yeah, even mm-hmm. your children are borrowed, yours. and you know, and when we're stuck in that moment, which I can't even imagine, you're losing everything else that's going on around you, well, you know, in your marriage, if you have other children, other things, I mean, you're just letting your whole life pass by because you're just so angry. And I think once you realize that, which may come, you know, if years later, who knows, but, you know, I think that that's huge. Well, and gratitude requires presence because yes. to be grateful means you're in that moment right now 
appreciating that thing, whatever it is. And I think that's why you see after a horrible loss, people tend can go one of two ways. They go the bitter, cynical way, or they become people who start to appreciate life in ways that maybe they didn't, didn't before. before. It like changes. They're, like they're not the same I'm person I'm grateful that again. we're sitting in this room right now mm-hmm. having this moment, right. and you start beginning. Oh, I, I think you're exactly mm-hmm. right. I, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I've adopted in the last five years or so is just this mindset. I've seen so many people, and I'm not talking about anybody specific, so don't try and guess who I'm talking about, if <laughs> Greg. Um, <laughs> but people who work their entire life to 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 retire, mm. and then they retire, and they have all these plans that they're going to do, but then their body falls apart, mm-hmm. and they have no uh, ability to go do all the things they want to do. There is a real tangible grief that comes over Absolutely. them, a bitterness that God took this from me. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be able to go do this, and they get there, and it doesn't happen. I have learned from that, just from their process. I ain't waiting. Just do uh, your that, thing. That's one of the reasons why we went on this big mm-hmm. vacation last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, last, when was it? A couple, weeks, know, ago. couple <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> uh, because I made the decision. I'm not mm-hmm. going to put all this off until I'm ready mm-hmm. for it. Because right. who knows what I'm going to be like. Uh, I want to do it now. There's other, and talk about grieving. You know, how many times do we do that? You look so forward to a vacation or a special event in your life. And then once it's over. Cheesecake. It's like, oh. Right. Or that, you know person that goes through a divorce which is not horrible enough but then ultimately you end up losing you know that side of the family these friends so you know it's just like a ripple effect that you have different types of of loss are you laughing at me? no i was i was making a snipe <laughs> he was laughing at <laughs> you no he looked at you had nothing to do with you it was all about me look the the two or three of you listening to this someone <laughs> put, someone put something in fishbeck's coffee today and drink. i don't know what Up it is time. i don't know what that is but it, I, it looks like he's drinking hair gel it does look like that doesn't i'm not like sure it, what's it in that bottle like that. however a lot of times too at funerals you hear the you know, you better live every day like you're dying. Well, if I'm living like I'm dying, I'm not paying any of my bills. I'm not, you know. That's a Queen Latifah movie. You know. <laughs> I've seen that movie. Sadly and unfortunately, so, I was so made to watch that movie. I don't think we live like we're dying. I think we live like God intended us to live. Good, full lives abiding in him, but with joy. Oh, and, and that's finding no fear comes from. It's finding joy and it's gratitude joy. in the, the simple thing and choosing i mean you, you may work choose. all of your life to try and retire but you can still in that process there are people who are incredibly joyful no matter i'm not against at. working hard i've worked since <laughs> i was 12 years old i'm not against working hard at the all the dairy queen appreciates that too <laughs> i did i learned how to do the ball and cone and <laughs> make a blizzard and cook up a, a hand. But anyway can you teach I, the people <laughs> I, I've the signs always asking for help. I've thought, you know what? It might be a hoot to work it fifteen might, hours might. a week down at the Dairy Queen. <laughs> they got to bring the Gen Xers in mm-hmm. to show them how to do That's it. Right. That's um, right. But um, I'm not against hard work. What I am against is this idea of um, I will have a good life later. Yeah. Yeah. I have learned by other people's grief that they put mm-hmm. off having a good life till mm-hmm. later. Right. I've learned I don't want to make that same mistake. Right. So that's my, my finding meaning in my grief. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In many regards, my mother did that. She never went anywhere or did anything. And then her heart gave out on her, and she couldn't go anywhere mm-hmm. and do anything. And she, was, she really grieved all the places she couldn't go and right. all the things she couldn't go do. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. 
you know, it was, um, it was bad. And I learned from that. And so many people in church do the same thing. They just get yeah. to the place where now they're busted. They're, their life is dominated by doctor's appointments and things that are broken. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go to the Caribbean or Machu Picchu or the fjords of Alaska or walk the Great Wall of China. They're never going to do those mm-hmm. things. They had always wanted to go do those things, but now they're not ever going to go do those mm-hmm. things. So that's mm-hmm. just, that's where I'm at. Yep. Yep. Fishbeck, you're giving me the look. Where are we no, at? No, I'm not giving you a look. We're right at an hour. Right at an hour. What do you think? Well, I kind of really wanted to talk about how children grieve differently <laughs> than adults in my one more thing. but That was your number three. Well, yes. So you had we'll misconceptions. We've, uh, we've kind of covered that. Helpful things to say and tools. I think there's other tools we can give. I, I, I don't have to leave that just yet. We talked about faith. I am a firm believer in ritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, our culture is ritual poor. We, we don't ascribe it any value. Uh, mostly because we intellectualize everything. We say, well, that doesn't mean anything. But rituals do mean anything. Um, just ask the Boston Red Sox singing Sweet Caroline, right? <laughs> Ritual means something, and it helps us ascribe uh, uh, association to it. I firmly believe in the funeral, and I firmly believe in the process and rites of burying the dead because that helps us mm-hmm. formalize what we're feeling. We mm-hmm. need that formality. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I understand the, some of the repulsion against that, or, the, or they want to privatize it, but you need those things. Yeah. Um, they, they help in, in, in a very tangible, that's a, that's a great tool. Mm-hmm. And I would say ritual for any kind of loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's um, uh, the loss of a job mm-hmm. or of uh, a car. I mean, I, I've, yeah. I've, I've lost cars that mm-hmm. they, they through a car wreck or, or it just gives out, you know, you put your hands, I put my hands on that car, oh Lord, thank you for this car, mm-hmm. it has served me. A ritual behind mm-hmm. that, whenever a Bible gives out, I have a whole Absolutely. ritual for burying well, a Bible. Well, when I wrecked my car, you know, and she was done, and they were fixing to tow her off, and Greg was grabbing all my stuff out of there, and I just had to go sit in her for a minute and just tell her goodbye, because I loved her, and I wasn't ready for her to go. Of course, you know, poor thing, wasn't her fault. <laughs> you killed your car. I killed my car. <laughs> and then you but wrote about how grief, sad it made you. Grief and guilt. <laughs> a little bitter yeah it took me a long time to kind of get used but to it's scarlet. not what you planned for your day exactly. and i think that's where grief finds us it's yeah. not what we planned it's not what we expected and there it finds mm-hmm. us but i think the rituals especially can bring children to a good place too. you're just not gonna let that <laughs> go are I'm you not. um because when you celebrate the birthday and you and you and you help them to sit in it you celebrate the hey this was our anniversary um, this was our time. Like, I, I think that helps a lot. I, I, I want to add to that if it's relationally focused. I think you got a lot of people in today's world that want to have these just big events for their kids. It's more about the event mm-hmm. than it is the relationship to the child. Um, because there's a lot of kids that the ritual of a birthday is a simple, you know, cake and the family cake. singing. Um, and then you got people that have gone on these weekend trips with their kids and it's, it wasn't anything special mm-hmm. and, and it, the ritual isn't about how you do it, but it's about the meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. I do mm-hmm. remember my first birthday when my dad didn't call me. That was mm-hmm. horrible, mm-hmm. but like you do put a ritual to it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, so with yeah. children, thanks. What do you think? <laughs> what? What do you perceive is the the most important thing to communicate with a child 
I'm, I'm assuming here the death of a parent. I, I'm just thinking in my mind a seven-year-old mom had a heart attack and died or dad was in a car accident and died that sudden tragic loss or even perhaps long-term illness yeah. what is the most say, important some of thing? it can yeah something that's coming I what do you say with, what do you do with kiddos like they can be they're going to be very literal or a lot of times they're very literal literal like am i going to get a replacement parent like oh that was my dad he's gone and now i get a new one that was my mom she's gone now i get a new one and so they don't quite get that but um one thing that i've learned is that they don't grieve what they don't know so they're not going to grieve their um their dad not taking them to the daddy daughter dance mm. until he's not taking them to the daddy daughter dance where the mom would grieve that long in advance like the mom would pre-grieve that almost but the kid won't grieve it until they're in it mm, that's a good point so um i think that's really important so that's that's for uh, adults to keep in mind right but the thought process I have with children is, is what can we do to help children in the grieving process? And one of the things I actually believe is tell the children the truth. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Don't, I mean, don't, don't be unnecessarily blunt, um, uh, blunt or unnecessarily uh, explicit, but tell them the truth. Your father was in a car accident, and in that car accident, the steering wheel punctured his chest and it caused his lungs not to work, and he died because of that. Mm -hmm. Be very, very specific. And, and I, I say that because if you just say things like, he was driving, and there was an accident, and he died, and he, or, 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 he passed or away. He passed they away. don't even understand the, that. The metaphor, passed away, uh, and now he went to heaven. Or, or if it's a grandparent, I've heard this, well, she went to sleep and she's going to yeah. sleep in heaven. No, like don't tell yeah. a child that because that will petrify them. They'll be afraid Never to go to go sleep. sleep. Mm. Right. Um, and be very specific fault. about what it was, how they died. They can handle that kind of mm -hmm. truth. If they're over the age, you know, five or six, you have, right. you have to make it age appropriate. Say, you have to, yeah, according to the age. Don't lie to them and don't make up stories. Right. And they can handle more. But I also think don't be afraid for it to be just a quick conversation and it's gone you, you may know? have to repeat it every day yeah. for a while right several and yeah. i want to go one step further with this we're talking about grief and loss in terms of death if there is a divorce in this in the family there is a grief that comes in that yes. situation mm -hmm. too yes. and so while this is this is where a lot of problems i think happen with children in divorce so mommy and daddy aren't doing well with each other they you know usually usually there's some antagonism <laughs> in the divorce uh when you have children they have lost family. Yes. Yeah, they've right. lost home. And someone needs to come, preferably if both parents independently did it and also together did it, hey, we recognize you, you're hurting. You're, mm -hmm. You can talk to us. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell because me how you're Because they feel like thinking. they have to choose sides. Right. And, and, and it's hard. And they never get a chance to grieve what they've lost right. because mommy says, well, isn't this better now? Yes. He's not here. And daddy says, mm -hmm. isn't this better now? She's not here. Yeah. And they're like, no, this no, isn't better. Yeah. They liked it better. Yeah. And so that's. They're grieving. So, so the, a big part of recognizing children's grief is sometimes they're grieving when we don't even recognize mm -hmm. it. Well, just because we don't think it's grieving, like we talked about earlier, doesn't mean it's not a grief for somebody else. Well, and just acknowledging it, like you're saying, mm -hmm. I, I realize this was a hard time hard. in your life for starters yeah. and that this made it a lot worse right and also children tend to regress back to a time where they felt safe so that might be a, um like they may regress back until they're three if they're a seven-year-old 
like they may start having accidents or um, like like mm-hmm. because well, grief you know, goes what? somewhere and, mm-hmm. beca- and then or they might uh, start sucking their thumb again or whatever they'll regress to a time where they're safe and as parents you don't understand like what are they doing like that's not you know and the but, kicker on but, this is, and the kicker on this is these are some of the things we carry with us on into adulthood mm-hmm. and many of us I haven't went to bed in a while. Crutches. Well, mm-hmm. I'm trying to delicately Errol. slide this <laughs> in here, but this is what the one of the aspects of the Enneagram that it talks about. Go ahead. Get it out. Give me your size. Here it is. <laughs> is your kid life crisis. Is that we, regardless of the situation or the grief or the whatever, different people have picked up personalities to survive that time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they still live in those personalities mm-hmm. what was harry potter's like? i was trying to bring that in earlier i think you know he lost both parents he did that's a and, lot of loss and so it was it was um pretty bad, pretty bad. <laughs> poor, poor cedric <laughs> so the the thing is um with with that kind of loss and that kind of grief i remember very clearly suffering from grief did not know it was called grief mm. I was in a, a real bad way between the third year grade year and my fourth grade year. Mm-hmm. And I'm not making this up. I had the best school teacher in the world in my third grade year, Miss Mars. She was wonderful. Just hard. Mm-hmm. I remember being hard, but wonderful. And then we went to fourth grade year and not so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it was Mrs. Johnson, and she hated me. <laughs> hated me. <laughs> And I remember grieving, why can't I have Miss Mars? Mm-hmm. Mm. Why can't she be my teacher forever? Mm-hmm. Think about what a child goes through, what they may be grieving, because their brain's not developed. Yeah, and they can't think right. long term. Their frontal lobe doesn't yeah. develop to like 22. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, when we talk about child, it's 22 and under. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I'm surprised. I'm, they let me get married at 21. <laughs> they let me teach a room full of children at 21. What were they thinking? I, I drove a van full of kids halfway across the nation at 21 mm, to go I'm snow not sure. skiing. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm sure that was not approved by your insurance company. Uh, yeah, under 22, and it's pretty, science is pretty solid on this. Your mm-hmm. frontal lobe is not developed. You can't think about other people's uh, empathy. You have mm-hmm. difficulty... Uh, understanding uh, consequences of actions mm-hmm. and it creates neural pathways mm-hmm. that that get stuck in your brain mm-hmm. yeah I, lo- I love parents about that you know tell, yelling at a seventh grader a seven year old you get consequences of your action that kid has no idea what that is yeah. mm-hmm. they're seven mm-hmm. years old uh, anyway well, I, uh, do, uh, are we good? Anything to be Johnny? said? We're like a, <laughs> one more thing as, as, as long as yeah I think we're good what's your favorite cheesecake um, the frozen kind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, She's sticking with it. Well, welcome to our podcast. <laughs> we really are glad that you listened to the over hour that we had today. We really basically decided to do this topic after last week's um, podcast, which if you haven't listened to, you should uh, right now. Uh, don't wait, Greg. Uh, it was a really uh, good podcast. We decided we're still working on these uh, topics: pastoral, emotional, uh, personality things. Um, so we've got a couple of more. I don't know what we're doing next. We'll come up with something. We may do um, national debt or something. Uh, 
I will have no notes about that. <laughs> no notes. I got notes. I got you notes. <laughs> uh, but we're glad you listened. Uh, I'm Jamie. I'm Daryl. Misty. Joni. And we're the podcasters from Fellowship Baptist Church in Marble Falls, Texas, under the water tower. That's where you'll That's find where our church. Are. That's where you'll find us uh, doing a ministry, sharing life together, reading and studying the Bible, and thinking really uh, deeply about things probably we should just go have cheesecake over. Glad you listen. Share with us on your favorite platform, uh, uh, Facebook. If it's not down, uh, that you know we survived that. Daryl huh. actually killed it. it Daryl killed it. Sorry, how many trying to fix our live stream. Speaking of grief, how many people probably said and just what am I gonna do? Facebook deleted Instagram. their apps, reinstalled, <laughs> yeah, all reset gone. the router. I didn't even have time to get on it all that till I got home, and then it was already up. Was I was like, I cooked okay. lasagna all day yeah, that day, I so busy. I wasn't really on Facebook, but. Uh, Share us on whatever your favorite social media platform is, Facebook, Instagram, if you're able to share, Twitter. TikTok. Uh, you can TikTok about how awesome it is, whatever you want to do. Uh, or just tell a friend. Like, hey, a real-life person, these, this podcast changed my life. And then tell them the podcast to change your life. And then tell them. And there's also this other one called Under the Water Towers. That's pretty good, too. Okay. <laughs> Take care, guys. Love you. Oh, See ya. Bye. Uh,